five teenagers are given the ability to transform into any animal they touch. Using this technology, they alone must fight a secret infiltration of Earth by a parasitic race of aliens known as the Yerks. They can't tell you who they are or where they are from, but we're here to tell you their story. This is the Millennial Agenda, Animorphs Edition. Welcome everyone to the Millennial Agenda, Animorphs Edition, a weekly discussion of K.A. Applegate's sci-fi action series, Animorphs. I am your host, Josh Gunderson, and I am joined by my Animorphs Edition co-host, Kevin Morey. This week we are discussing Book 13, The Change. Something hinky is going on with Tobias. As he is on a bird date slash surveillance mission with Rachel, he keeps zoning out and ending up in places he doesn't want, which actually works out because the two end up seeing a pair of Horkvajir escaping from a hidden Yerk compound. The Animorphs work quickly to help the two as they are the only free Horkvajir in the whole entire universe. Tobias realizes that there are some shenanigans going on and yells to the heavens to cut out the shit, and our good buddy the Elemist shows up. Turns out he's behind the nonsense and makes a deal with Tobias to become human again. The Elemist pulls some bullshit monkey paw-esque nonsense and gives Tobias the power to morph again, but he's still a hawk. The Animorphs work together to fake the Horkvajir couple's death and lead them to a secluded mountain valley situation where they can hide and live peacefully. The Elemist shows back up and brings Tobias back in time to the night before the Animorphs get their powers, and he acquires his own DNA, which will allow him to return back to his human self, either for two hours at a time or forever, should he stay over the time limit. And that is the change, and also me hoping that people understand a monkey paw reference and the word hinky, apparently. Yeah, I mean, definitely some choice words used and phrases, but you know, I got monkey paw, that's one I do know, but hinky is, well, I learned something new today, I'll just say that. I apparently Kevin has never heard the word hinky before so share your thoughts of this on the Twitters or on the Instagram let us Please. know have you ever heard the word hinky used in a sentence or are you a normal person wow <laughs> but you got the okay I I mean the monkey pie I feel like is very it's a it's a story that if even if you don't realize you know it you know a version of it right it's yeah the, that's a bit of a dated reference, maybe, but it's one that I know because I know things, but, you know. If by dated is. you mean the story came out in the early 1900s, then yes, that's exactly what it is. By dated, I mean that somebody my age or younger probably is not as likely to know that reference. Uh, I mean, probably, in it, like, it's, I mean, I think the Simpsons did a version of it on the A Treehouse of Terror episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, any time you're dealing with an entity that's granting wishes, but is kind of a dick about it, that is basically an offshoot of the monkey's paw story. Very true. So, and the Elemist apparently uh, inspired it because he's kind of a dick. Yeah. So, but I mean, this is the, I, I've been waiting for this book because I knew it, I remembered it happening. I don't, it doesn't feel like it happened this soon, but this is also the first Tobias POV, like solo adventure Tobias POV in 10 books out like, yeah. within, the, within the timeline. So, and yeah. I, when I, whenever I reread these books, I always forget that Tobias getting his morphing ability back, like goes hand in hand with the beginning of the Free Hork Bajir movement. I don't know why, because it's so integral to this plot. But every time I come up on this book, I'm like getting through it, and then the Elmas pops up, and I'm like, oh, this is the one where Tobias gets his morphing back. And I just always forget. 
but this is a pretty huge moment because like you said the the two hork bajir that they do manage to free are at that point the only two hork bajir who exist that don't have yurks in their heads period in the entire galaxy yeah which is kind of sad but it's okay because they're Mm -hmm. apparently gonna have a baby right which i have i've got some questions (laughs) about that and believe it or not, I think most of them do eventually get answered, even not knowing what they are. But we do learn quite a bit later on um, about Hork-Bajir physiology and their society and their planet and all that. Like, that all comes in great detail later down the road. So stay tuned. Yeah, because we get we have the, the Hork-Bajir Chronicles, which uh, mm-hmm. is going to give us a lot of that. I'm just curious, like, uh, about reproduction, because y'all have been free for about an hour like we're like uh how do you oh you know i probably like i don't know even though i want to go down this road it's a it's a very hinky topic (laughs) oh god um (laughs) i have no comment on the use of that word in that sentence um but weren't they like hiding in a cave overnight didn't that happen at some point but i mean yeah they were and okay. Tobias heard them using the word that means essentially child for them, but like, were they in there doing it, screaming "child" the entire time? I, I don't think they were screaming. Um, well, whispering, very quiet. It was very right. muted, Mike Pence esque lovemaking. So here's the thing. Let's think about it. These are two Horkbajir who have managed to escape, and they are free. And not only that, but they are actually a couple. They are in love. Coincidentally, it's not like two random people that don't know each other got out and they're like hey we should repopulate our species like they are actually a couple and they are ready to do what they need to do to bring their species back so <laughs> it makes sense i mean the other thing with hort bajir though is um and as we got to see in this book getting to talk with jara and ket is that they're pretty simple and i don't use that as like a stand-in for a, a more offensive word i mean literally that the hork are just a very simple species. They are just very matter-of-fact. They just use one or two words at a time. They don't really think about much beyond what's happening to them in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really know that they would have the mental uh, capability of thinking ahead like that to where they're like, hey, we should repopulate our species in a free sense. But some way, somehow, yep, they have a little baby on the way. I mean, every action movie ever has taught me that after or during scenes of intensity someone needs to get laid and maybe that's just like extra true for hork bajir they're like they can't like wait till after it's done and they're like after the moment they're like hey this is happening right now so everyone give us a minute in this cave (laughs) we gotta do this pause please (laughs) do you think they lay eggs i don't know because they're like they're lizard creatures um I have I have thoughts about it, but I I can't really get into them without spoiling things. But um, okay, I don't think that they reproduce like humans do. I'll say that. I mean, yeah, that's that that'd be. Oh, speaking of, I uh, I I was not overly uh, thrilled with Marco in this book. Um, after I just got through praising how much teenage me probably would have loved him, um. He he lets out he goes on a bit of like a weird sexist rant. 
that I don't entirely approve of. Yeah, Marco gets a little bit cringy at times, and there's really no reason for it. It's just kind of like, every now and then it's like, oh, yep, he is definitely 13 years old in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, because he just, he just goes off on this this tirade of just like, oh, girl hork for sure. Is, are they scared of snakes? And like he just goes, and I'm like, the whole time I'm like, Marco, shut the fuck up, please. Like, Argh! And I, I mean, maybe it just speaks of the time that it was written in or just, you know, uh, as we as individuals are just a little bit more aware <laughs> of, you know, saying things like that. And the fact that we can't, yeah. um, you know, we, we especially can't assign that, that just human ideology of gender <clears throat> on a different species, especially right. aliens. Like I think it's a kind of a combination of what you're saying. I think back in that time period, even with um, Michael Grant and K.E. Applegate being a lot more progressive than most authors of like children's books were at that time, we just didn't have the same scope of this kind of topic that we do now, where we can look at it and say, okay, that's really not correct. And it's also really not fair to generalize an entire gender category that way and then take what we've done with humans and impose that on a brand new species that might not even see gender in the same way. Like, but yeah, I think it's just a combination of that, just the awareness not being there. And also, again, Marco is a 13-year-old boy. And 13-year-old boys are known for just being little shits. <laughs> These are he probably it's probably a combination of him thinking he's being edgy and genuinely thinking that what he's saying is funny. And trying to get Rachel to piss, get pissed off. <laughs> he could also, I mean, think thinking about it now, uh, they're also in like this really fucked up situation where they've got, like, because the Yerks do not hold back to find these two. Right. They go insane. Like, they, like they're out in full force. They could care less about being seen. There's taxons everywhere. Apparently taxons can also double as bloodhounds. Right, learned. which makes sense because they're so driven by hunger that I can I can accept them suddenly having the ability to follow a scent trail because that's maybe how they find their food. I can accept that. It's, you know, something we probably should have known earlier in the series, but I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, we haven't... I feel like we haven't dealt too much with the Taxons lately. The last time I feel like we really had a hardcore encounter with them was the Stranger. The last time we saw the Elemist. Yeah, the Stranger. <laughs> That was, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Because uh, I feel like the, the hork Fajir, as we learned, are a little bit more uh, suited for the battle. Though we, we do learn that they are actually very... Well, I mean, we've known this, that they're very peaceful. And in right. this book, we learned that their their body blades are for just peeling various types of bark for them to eat. Yep. They literally just live in the trees and hang out in the trees and eat the bark and that's about what they do you know like i said they're a very uh simple species that's that's all they really do in their ecosystem i want to i want to talk about teenagers and winking because uh i i think it only happens the one time but rachel winks at tobias and we got a lot of jake winking recently and I don't know about you, but I don't think I ever winked. I, I think we've seen more winking from these teenagers in the last 13 books than I ever have in my entire life. Yeah, I mean, personally, I've never been able to wink 
and like have it look casual and like natural and you know anything other than like weirdly focusing on just closing one of my eyes <laughs> so i've never related to the concept of winking at somebody <laughs> like and even reading about it i can't picture like it just is weird i agree with you i, I don't know any teenagers that are like uh, let me wink at this person to signify that I have, like, an idea of what they're thinking about or whatever. Like, this is, I don't know. Because even in movies, you don't see people winking casually. It's usually, like, as an emphasis on something or literally making fun of the idea of winking. And speaking of Rachel, girl gets to go, like, full warrior mode. Like, she, I, so, uh, Jara is, is incredibly hardcore, we learn, because uh, when Tobias and Axe are, are talking to them, they're like, how are we like how are we certain this isn't a trap? And he's like, Oh, I'll prove it to you. And he just goes ahead and like cuts part of his fucking head off. And it's like, ah, check yeah. it out. There's there's my brain. <laughs> I'm like, ugh, ugh, good for you, friend. And uh and then they the animorphs do eventually, uh, for the first time reveal to somebody else that they are indeed human, which mm -hmm. uh the the two find very amusing because they've uh, been spent months listening to viscer three go on and on about the andalite bandits and of course like everyone except for viscer three knows that they're probably human somehow but like just cannot accept it and when they reveal that you know tobias makes it clear like hey the yerks can't take you and both of them are like like freedom or death freedom or death and then rachel like gets all on board with it she's like yeah fucking freedom or death say it with me <laughs> and just like gets everyone's freedom or fucking death bitches like i <laughs> i could see her like like sticking her hands in the mud and just like putting it all over her face and like going full on arnold schwarzenegger predator mode and be like fuck yeah like yeah that sounds about right i feel like rachel pounded a four loco and was like we're fucking doing this shit <laughs> I feel like Rachel just hops on any opportunity to just scream things and go fully feral, you know? <laughs> it, it's it's true, because she, she was, like, because she, she's the first one to uh, morph a, a Horkfashir, which also included a really funny moment, because apparently Cassie is apparently just, like, ping-ponging on her, her beliefs, and she's like, you can't just morph one of them, they're sentient, like, Girl, you just like last week morphed Rachel. <laughs> like you, you didn't even ask her when you absorbed her, and then for no re like there was no good reason for Cassie to morph into Rachel in the last book, but she went ahead and did it anyway. So like, girl, go go back go go over there. You go sit down. Yeah, the morphing to Rachel thing really was kind of rushed and out of nowhere and just like a little cliff note at the end of the story. And it really could have just been, I don't know, it seemed unnecessary. And it, it you're right, she does flip-flop a lot on this whole philosophy of we shouldn't morph things that think for themselves. But like, the two are literally standing there saying like, yes, do it, please. And she's still like, well, should we though? I don't know. It's classic Cassie though. It's 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 true. I feel like she's, she's, She's going through a struggle. We do have a Cassie book next, though, so maybe we'll see how she's feeling once we get into her head. Oh, we'll see some things next book. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tobias and the Elements, because Tobias has been a little bit of a, a crabby pants the last few books. We've gotten a lot of him, of him uh, or at the very least, we had a lot of the Animorphs feeling sorry for him that mm -hmm. he 
can't fully participate, and he's kind of like kind of been he's been a he's been a mopey. He's been a very sad sack for a while, and he's now you know at the center of all of this, and he is dealing with the Elemist, and he. The Elemist, you know, says, I want to give you what you want without really specifying it. And it, it goes to kind of tell you that I don't think Tobias fully knows what he wants because he even he's like early on, he's reminiscing about this family life that doesn't exist for him. He did not have a good time as a human. Mm-hmm. It was not pleasant for him at all. And but like he's decided to like hold on to that ideal and so he's getting attacked by a raccoon. And the Elemis, like, kind of pops up and, like, hey, uh, remember we had this, like, sort of deal? Do you want that, like, to happen now? Like, Tobias is in the middle of getting, like, eaten by a fucking raccoon. And he's just chilling, <laughs> like, hey, did you, did you want to do that now? Or, like, is this not a good time for you? And Tobias is like, yeah, can you, yeah, let's, let's do this. And then nothing nothing happens and Tobias is like bro the fuck and and the Elemis says uh, you know it's done the Andalite gave you power use it and it took him a hot minute and he's like you gave me back my morphing power and the Elemis says it's what you wanted and so he uh he gets the he gets the his first, actually he's not he's never morphed anything other than his cat and mm-hmm. the hawk. Like that's been it. Yep. That's it. So uh, he's got a lot going for him next. Then he, uh, he morphs a raccoon and it's, it's really funny. Cause he's like, he turns to the raccoon and he starts running and he's like, well, this is fucking weird moving this close to the ground. It was a really, really funny, funny moment. Yeah. My favorite thing now that we have Tobias morphing again is the bizarre descriptions of morphing get even weirder when we talk about him going from hawk to various other animals. Because, like, with at least with humans, it's a little bit more expected. Like, oh, my nose starts growing out, or, like, my arms, like, melt into my sides or whatever. And with him, he's like, nah, my beak turns into a proboscis, and it's like <laughs> this and that. It's so weird, and I just, I love it. <laughs> it's great to have him back in the fight, too, though, because he's kind of just been hanging out, being the eye in the sky and not much else. Yeah, it's nice, and I can I can see from a, a writing perspective just how boring that would get to mm-hmm. constantly, and you you do add in that whole new element, and it's really funny that he he kind of neglects to tell the other animorphs until he's like, hey, I've got this plan for how we can save these two. <laughs> um, so Ra- Rachel, you can morph into to Jara, and I will go ahead and morph into Cat, and they're like, oh, buddy. Look at you <laughs> with your cute little idea. And he's like, oh yeah, by, by the way, the Elemis gave me my morphing powers back. And then Rachel is, of course, immediately like ready to kick the Elemis ass and is like, you said he'd make you human! What a dick! I imagine that's how Rachel said that. Probably exactly like that, yeah. yeah. That feels, And then that's when she pounded her four loco and went forth with, with <laughs> the plan. <laughs> And now I do I do want to discuss now the idea of of Tobichel or Rachias. I forget what the Oh, there were so many choices. Do not go back to that. Do not go back. I, I, <laughs> I opened that door and I wish I hadn't. 
because he does he gets he he gets to uh, absorb himself acquire himself but i i don't know if like like i wanted to be excited for something like oh they could be together now and i'm like no he's gonna be a, a 12 or 13 year old boy forever right unless he gets himself stuck in that morph like as a human there's mm-hmm. no way the two of them could be a, a couple beyond a couple of years because after a while it's gonna look a little bit funny mm-hmm. so i i that's i don't think it would last if he if he went human again and stayed more for over the two hours it it wouldn't work out between the two of them with him not in the fight because rachel is too much of a psychopath yeah i i'll be honest i never really understood their coupling when i was reading this as a kid and i still don't today I think that it was just kind of shoehorned in as another, like, oh, well, we've got another girl. She's got to get with one of these guys. Because, like, we never really see Marco pair off with anybody, even outside of the Animorphs, any time in the series. And it just it just feels forced. I don't know. I just was never really super into them as a couple. But you're absolutely right. It's it's This gives, like, a whole new weird implication to their relationship. Because before it was, like oh, she's tragically in love with a boy who's actually a hawk. And it's like, and now that boy who is a hawk can only be a boy, literally a boy, a little boy forever. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's no, there's no like hit that, like he's only going to age by two hours and then he morphs back. And then the DNA is still that of a 12 or 13 year old boy. Mm-hmm. So I just, I think in their heads, they feel like they're going to beat the Yerks pretty soon, and they're probably not even worried about it. And, like, worst-case scenario, they win. Tobias doesn't need to morph anymore. He turns back into a human, and then he's, like, a couple years younger than Rachel at most. But I don't think they're even thinking that far ahead at any point in the series of, like, what's going to happen after. Um, they might get into it a little bit later. It's hard to remember. But I, it's, again, their relationship is weird. I don't get it. I never have. I don't think I ever will. I don't think they're a good fit for each other. I, I, no, I mean, I don't think anyone's a good fit for Rachel. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm all for Jake and Cassie. Jake and Cassie, to me, is just kind of a a very expected pairing. Like, for them, they do make sense, but not in a way that I like. It's just like, well, yeah, they are the ones that would get together. <laughs> That's fair. What about, like, just, what about, like, pairing, uh, what about Marco and Tobias? I could, you know... I don't love it, but I think it does make more sense than Rachel and Tobias, <laughs> honestly. Because I could never see Marco with Rachel. She'd kill him. She'd kill no, him. absolutely He'd not. He'd be dead. So fast. And you know what I think? I think that Marco and Rachel would be the quote-unquote expected pairing. Um, because they do have so much bickering and bantering and everything. And maybe they were like, ah, we should put Rachel with Tobias because he's not the expected pairing. I don't know. I feel like there's probably some animorphs fan listening to this who's ready to skin me alive for saying these things but tobias is one of my favorite characters rachel's one of my favorites i just really don't like them as a couple they're always just really sad that's all they do they're just sad together true. and i wonder now that he's able to morph human again if like because i feel like she only really kind of likes him because she needs someone to take care of oh like now, now that's a hot take i like because that because <laughs> she never like she i mean granted we we still have that picture of him that she has for some reason that is never explained but she never really gave it like she never paid attention to him or gave him the time of day before 
And I think, you know, I mean, given Rachel's personality as uh, like a like war bloodthirsty psycho, I think she just I think she's attracted to the idea of him as the sympathetic character for, for her to take care of. Hmm. I, you know, I didn't imagine that I would spend my Saturday night diving deep into the psychology of 12-year-old fictional children, but. <laughs> but I agree with you. I think that's, yeah, I think you're correct. It makes. And the, yeah, I, I was going to say something else, but it gets into spoiler territory. So I yeah, don't do that, because I actually, I have questions for you that I know are in spoiler territory that I have to wait until we're done recording. Uh, mm-hmm. Mostly because I right now cannot think of what the fuck they were so i think but i i I do really enjoy that we got sort of a a lack of sitcom ending this time where he shows up at her award ceremony which i want to talk about that award real quick because i have some confusion because rachel is getting an award in this book which is like what do you want to say like maybe a week or two after the last one probably Um, even even like even if it's a month, she's getting an award for being an outstanding student. When one book ago, Chapman calls her into his office because he's like, "Hey, your grades are slipping." Which I mean, even that was like, you went from uh, like A's to like an A minus, and we are worried. Like, no, you're not. Like, I've been to public school. Here's how I interpreted that because I actually I thought it made sense at the timeline. Um, the award that she's receiving is likely for the previous quarter or semester, depending on how they do their schools. And so they're saying, hey, you're an outstanding student. You're about to get this award, and now your grades are falling in this following uh, semester or quarter. So what's going on? To me, it made sense, because it, like, gave... It, it, like, made even more reason for Chapman to pull her aside. Or, I mean, it's just outstanding student. That doesn't necessarily mean grades-wise, because I've definitely... I've got awards for not being a good student. <laughs> <laughs> And they, you know, it's, I just think it's, it would be weirder for them to be like, you are currently a good student. Here's an award for what you're doing right now. You know, usually awards are like, hey, you already did this thing in this previous time frame where we were awarding things. So you're now receiving that award, you know? But yeah, I've definitely gotten outstanding student awards when my grades were not wonderful. And it was because I was a pleasure to have in class, <laughs> um, which means that I am now a, a disaster of a human. I... <laughs> I can't do anything but agree with that. Not that you're, I mean, I, I mean, as in same, not that you're a disaster of a human. I, I should clarify. We all know what you really yeah, thought. I, I, I know, I know the two of us well enough to know that we are both disasters of a human. Exactly. I grew up reading these books. It changed you. Oh, one thing that is kind of fun in this book with the original cover art so, like we've mentioned before, the the actual cover of the book, the iconic, you know, five steps between human and animal transformation, uh, when it gets to the animal, their head is usually a cutout shape where you open up to an actual inside cover that's like a full illustration. Mm-hmm. And this one is um, Tobias as a hawk looking at Tobias as a human in his bedroom. And behind him, there is a framed photo of a cat, which is presumably dude, but it's actually the illustrator David Mattingly's cat, whose name is Orson. And I love the implication that, number one, Tobias has a framed photo of his cat right next to his bed. That's really cute. <laughs> um, and then two, he also put 
an illustration of his own book on Tobias's bookshelf. It's called The Art of David B. Mattingly. And it's literally, it's sitting behind him on his bookshelf that's above his bed. I just think that's really funny. I, I am amused by that, mostly because I, I record the podcast sitting in my bedroom, where I do, in fact, on my bookshelf, have not one, but two framed photos of my cat. Yep. <laughs> as any sane cat owner would have. Thank you all so much for listening. Next week, we will be discussing book 14, The Unknown. If you'd like to read along, check out the show notes for a link to download the entire series for free on PDF. The graphic novel of The Invasion is now available wherever you buy books or through the link to purchase in the show notes as well. New episodes of The Millennial Agenda are available every Monday with new Animorphs edition each Friday. You can find The Millennial Agenda all over your favorite social media on Instagram and Facebook as The Millennial Agenda and on Twitter as Millennial AG Pod. You can now support the podcast on buymeacoffee.com and receive access to bonus content as well as all sorts of other fun things while helping cover the cost of keeping the show going. Things like website, hosting fees, and all the other odds and ends that go into making the podcast. Please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting platform. Until next time, happy reading. So you know what? You go ahead. Say hinky all you want. You go for it.